Welcome back to the D-Fade. My name is Zachary Elliott, joined as always by Mr. Raven. How are you doing? I'm doing good today. We're going to cover what was, after a disappointing start, one of the better Super Bowls in recent memory as Mahomes gets his third, Kyle Shanahan gets his second loss to him, and it is a triumph on all swift grounds. But first, getting into the names into the game's nitty-gritty. First reactions for the biggest winners. Just, we'll get into, like, my personal frustrations with the the level of Mahomes' legacy talks, but, again, if you are perpetually obsessed with grading the, uh, grading the, the legacies of, of quarterbacks as their career progresses, Lamar's and Josh Allen's are clearly on the downswing. Mahomes is ascended far above where anyone could ever hope to reach in the next five years, barring something just catastrophic. The Kelsey brand, everything involved with it, both Travis and Jason uh, sitting in the box of Ice Spice, everything is on the up and up. I don't look forward to the uh, to the podcast clips that are going to come out post oh, this. All of the memes about Travis singing for ten minutes. Oh, it's so good, dude! The memes about um, show Jason and Ice Spice, where it's like, "Ah, huh, yes, is it Munch? Am I pronouncing that correctly? Am I the shit or am I the fuck?" <laughs> it's so funny, dude. McCall Hardman's job security, catching the game-winning touchdown in the Super Bowl, does make me feel slightly better about his role, considering I think if he hadn't done that, he would have been cut in the offseason. Also caught that 52-yard bomb. Chris Jones and Trent McDuffie, particularly Chris Jones' agent, who, no matter where Jones signs this offseason, whether it's back with the Chiefs or anywhere else, he might have by himself saved two or three touchdowns. And McDuffie, outside of that hold on the drive in overtime, was including Mahomes, the best player on the field. Uh, conspiracy theorists, some of them at least, not everything came to fruition that Taylor and Travis didn't endorse Biden on the field, but I, I think those who were who were obsessed with a Chiefs win and... Um, just like we wrote it up. The just like we wrote it up. Oh, my God. <laughs> setting that aside, uh, and finally... Both, I think Purdy defenders are both big winners and jumping over to big losers only because I thought he played well. He did. I th- thought he made timely throws. I thought he was evading pressure outside of the red zone quite well. I think that the one or two plays where Jones and uh, McDuffie or Snead were able to make a play on the ball if they're for the ones in the secondary or Jones slash Karloftis just getting in his face that I think there were points left on the field when stuff like that happened. But otherwise, I mean, Purdy didn't look like Kerry Collins throwing four interceptions in the Super Bowl or like uh, Peyton when the Broncos lost by 30. Like, he did enough to win in my in my perspective. I think that if one of those passes to Debo or Ayuk over the top that got uh, mis, misjudged or overthrown. I think that that decides the game, and he or Jawan Jennings ends up winning Super Bowl MVP. Other biggest loser, 
I'll lump them together, Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch. Kyle Shanahan specifically for maybe his future job security. He's now 0-2 in the Super Bowl, 0-2 against Mahomes. 0-3 against, if you're counting his coordinator days, against the two greatest QBs ever. This is not as bad as 28-3. Nothing ever will be unless it's 30-3. But I'm not the first person to make this point. Shanahan has more or less become Andy Reid. Andy Reid making the Super Bowl and losing to Brady, but also making AFC championship games over and over again with the Eagles, only to be vanquished over and over again. He became the butt of jokes. He, How many columns, how many podcasts, how many shorts, videos, whatever, were made about the, the difficulty of Reid's clock management at the end of games, his problems with, I don't know, elevating talent at the quarterback position. Granted, it was like the McNabs and Vicks and then Alex Smiths of the world. But even as the Chiefs would make one seeds with Alex freaking Smith, they Reed had that stigma, that cloud hanging over him the entire time. Shanahan has gotten to that point. Deservedly or otherwise, it's a lot of the same criticisms where like coming into the playoffs, the, the 0-30 in games where he was down in the fourth quarter by by 10, like he has he has occupied that role. He has become the the persona non grata when it comes to uh, to coaching in the playoffs. Whereas Reed occupied that for 10, 15 years. And it sucks for him. And it sucks for John Lynch too, who assembled a great roster. Despite completely misplaying Trey Lance, they frankly got extremely lucky falling into Brock Purdy, but have built an offense where if Debo wasn't hurt this year, might have been in all all pros. Like, you know how at the beginning of the game they show like the lineups for each team, and when they show the skill position players, it'll say all pro and yellow underneath mm-hmm. the players' faces. For the 49ers, it was Uchip, Kittle, Ayuk, and then Debo was the only one that was not a first or second team all pro. Wow. Credit to Lynch. I don't think any of this is on him. And I think the defense has its issues, but they were not really exploited for the vast majority of the game. We'll get straight into the uh, the actual breakdown of it. I tried to map out every drive of the game just to show the flow of it. Plus, this is the last football game of the year. We're not going to have the NFL for a while, so I figure we have time to to dive in and actually look at how the momentum of this game shifted so much into the Chiefs' favor from the first to the second half. But 49ers' first drive, they tear up the Chiefs moving down the field. McCaffrey looks unstoppable as he did all game. It just ends with a fumble. We're going to also, I I failed to mention, on here last week, I did pick the Chiefs, and I think I said 24-17, which not that far off. So I can pat myself on the back in the public record. I will fully admit to on Sunday, completely second guessing <laughs> myself. It was it was just a bad case of you know, the test be, the test being in front of you for too long. Yeah. Like you can't turn it in until the end of class. And so you just stare at your answers and, and then and you, you start, start changing them. Yeah. Overanalyzing and just like, oh, well, it could be this one too. Like, yeah, I definitely know what you mean. That was wrong. <laughs> the Niners went down to one and a half and then it 
enough money pregame moved it back to two and a half. So I feel better knowing that there was a lot of late action on the Niners, but uh, they were just as wrong as I was. After the fumble, Kansas City gains six yards before punting. 49ers second drive. They get a first down before stalling. A holding call pushes them back. I, I'm very appreciative of the lack of ref ball throughout this game and how there really has been no, no referee controversy coming out of this. And given how bad that's been for some of this season. Um, Can't say the same about the NBL. Uh, geez, NBA, but... Or the NBL. Or the NBL, you know. They have some go back to Go back to Europe, you know. Uh, Casey gets 10 yards after the punt. 49ers third drive, 11 plays for 41 yards. Jake Moody kicks the longest field goal in Super Bowl history. And I think that America had less faith in him making it than they did Gronk. Naturally, it was dead center. Casey's third drive, McCole Hardman, again, least likely hero that any of us would have selected. 52-yard catch, quickly followed by a Pacheco fumble. Pacheco, who was 18 for 59, and another 33 receiving. Overall stat line doesn't look bad, but he looked pretty uncomfortable. And he would never got to the edge against in the lead up to this game. And one of the reasons that I second guess myself, I guess the defensive line supposedly susceptible to outside running. They just kept pounding it up the middle. And Pacheco is a strong enough runner to still be able to squeak out close to four yards of carry in those situations. But he looked uncomfortable. He his arms were apparently loose enough to uh, to cause this problem throughout the game. Both sides were, to be fair. Both of their fourth drives result in short punts. San Francisco's fifth drive was eight plays, fifty-two yards, and then the Jawan Jennings spinning into the end zone. Or no, forgive me, Jawan Jennings back across the field, McCaffrey touchdown. I think it rubs it in a little bit. I don't think Shanahan necessarily was doing it this way. It does rub in the uh, the Kelsey to Tony KC loss where they would have won the game against the Bills. Um, them doing it correctly to McCaffrey is just salt in the wound, and it makes it 10-0 in the process. This is where I start to feel more comfortable. Again, my own mistake. Casey's last drive of the half, 13 plays, they go 65 yards, kick a field goal to make it 10-3, and what was a really bad first half of football. I think those watching the, the under closely or even just neutral observers probably got turned off by the lack of action in the first half, and I mean, it's kind of hard to show Swift when Kelsey has two catches, one catch in the first half, and uh, is actively screaming at his coach on the sideline, which he bumped a 65-year-old man while screaming in his face. What if he heard him? I don't think CBS really really lingered on that much for an incident that I think A.J. Brown uh, said, said on Twitter that that would have gotten him kicked out of the league, which I don't necessarily disagree with the point. Ended up not mattering, and now it's just a funny meme. Uh, halftime... So, Usher got married on the 11th. Congrats, Usher. Congrats to him. Um, not not a great and right honeymoon to be belly dancing with Alicia Keys. <laughs> uh, Swiss Beats, who's uh, Alicia Keys' wife, 
Gotta say, all-time confidence level for that guy. Wife? Husband. <laughs> okay. Relax. Her husband seemed completely unbothered. His Instagram post was the most laid back I've ever seen. I stand by that if you're married to Alicia Keys and are also like somewhat of a public figure yourself, I think you're justified in having the self-confidence to be like, eh, it's just a show. Also, I don't, I don't imagine an Usher show with Alicia Keys wouldn't be a little charged. They had the warning before, before the show started, so you can't be surprised. Uh, I thought, and I was not the only person in the room or that I've heard after the fact that said this, it really felt like mid-2000s like after-party music, which is not a bad thing takes me back to to our childhood but just an odd vibe and then uh finally i thought Ludacris was good uh, little john did not show up to any of the rehearsals where they just told him to get in the crowd and then start vibing on stage and yelling yeah which as good a paycheck as you're gonna get coming on a half mahomes throws his first pick in over 200 pass attempts and momentum seems to completely shift over to san francisco who promptly has a three and out Goes, ball goes back to KC. They have a three and out of their own. Javon Kinlaw, uh, Eric Armstead, Javon Hargrave shut down anything short of this entire game. They get in Mahomes' face on this. Bosa chases Mahomes. And this is something that, to Romo's credit, who we'll, we'll get to his, uh, his broadcasting, did point out how Bosa was really good for most of the game in shutting off Mahomes' rushing lanes, where... It was a great point to say, don't let him get forward momentum as he's scrambling outside the pocket because that's where he can throw comfortably, even if he's moving because he's just that good. Think back to the Bucks Super Bowl where he's literally horizontal well hitting one of his receivers in the face in the end zone. Like, allow him to get positive momentum towards the, towards the receiver or towards the running back and... He's going to at least put it on the money, if nothing else. So Bosa did an amazing job, and that's why this was such a stalwart battle for most of it. San Francisco's next drive is three and out. KC, nine plays in their next drive. Drive eight, 47 yards and a field goal, 10-6. Then three and out, three and out. But this is where poor, I I hope I say his name right, uh, Daryl Luter Jr., who was a special teamers on the Niners, it bounces off his foot and Casey recovers. One play later on a switch release with Kelsey, MVS scores a touchdown. I don't know if I feel worse for anyone after this game other than Lunar because not only are you special teamer, but like he said after the game, it was a really sad quote where he said it makes you feel like it's all your fault. And it's not because I think there's a lot of other things in play here. But if you believe in divine intervention... There it was. Tough. Going into the fourth quarter, every drive in the fourth and overtime led to points. San Francisco's ninth drive of the game, 12 plays, 75 yards, Juwan Jennings touchdown. I sincerely believe that if he hadn't uh, if he hadn't won MVP, if the Niners had won, it would have been McCaffrey. Just after, Moody's PAT is blocked. He played better than expected, and... 
hit two 50-plus yarders in a game where last week, I know, I cited them not even letting him kick more than once because they have that much distrust in him. But, like, I, I, I get it. It was a good play by the line to get up there. PAT should never get blocked. They cited the stat where Moody was 68 for 68 on PATs all year because, I, I mean, even as it got extended out, kickers are going to sh- be shooting 90% or higher on those, if not 100. He was hit the ball with his ankle. He hit it on a line drive low that close to the field goal posts. You are going to get blocked. Okay. I'm not blaming the entire loss on him, but that one point clearly ended up mattering because Casey's next drive was 12 plays, 69 yards, and a field goal that could have been making it 17-16 instead made it 16-16, which is just the first step of their downfall. San Francisco, seven plays, 40 yards, another long moody field goal to make it 19-16, but come on, you gave Patrick Mahomes 153 with two timeouts. It does not matter if Andy Reid went senile on that drive. Mahomes would figure it out. Casey, 11 plays, 64 yards, field goal for overtime. In a really tense moment, then we get to overtime. The Niners win the toss and receive the ball. We'll get to that. 13 plays, 66 yards. It was a field goal that really could have ended up being a punt earlier in the drive because McDuffie got called for a hold. I thought it was like non-negotiable that it was a hold, but I was still surprised because it was one of those like arms around the the waist on the break that sometimes just gets misconstrued as contact. Whatever, it was deserved. McDuffie's entire game makes up for that, certainly. We know what's going to happen on Kansas City's last drive. It's 13 plays. They march down the field, 75 yards, ring number three. Raven. Yes. Was this a good game? If you ask me okay. this question twice, once at halftime and once at the end of the game, the answers would have been very different. I have, I think the first half, everyone can kind of agree, was a little bit of a snooze fest. Mm-hmm. And the second half was good football. I can't, I can't lie about that. It was a tight game. It went into overtime. It's exciting. I, re- I wish the 49ers won. That's my only thing, personally. But This is something that I was hearing around and I don't know where I fall on it because I think there's a discussion of whether or not the Chiefs are starting to get to the level of the Patriots when they started to win too much and people just got sick of Brady and thought Belichick was an asshole and like Brady's married to a supermodel so on and so forth and then Spygate, Flakegate, insert a gate start to happen and people feel justified in that and now that same thing is kind of happening to the Chiefs. They just don't have an inciting event that makes people feel justified to have full acrimony towards them. I don't know if they just need that event or if people are just going to get there naturally. Because even let's let's talk about dynasties and other sports recently. The main one that comes to mind is the Warriors, <laughs> but at least they had Durant like coming to them where people were like, oh great. Yeah. Now they get him. With the Chiefs, unless they like I don't know, like traded for Jamar Chase. Like, I don't really see Devontae. Like, I don't I like Devontae. Yeah. I mean, even then, it's like their team's getting old. Like, these guys are getting older. 
I don't know how long Kelsey's going Kelsey's to yeah. play. So my thing is it's like if they just keep getting good talent and keep winning, then, yeah, people are going to naturally start hating on them. If there's an event that comes out that shows something is a little shady, then people are going to get there too, like what with what happened with Brady and Belichick. But I can't say right now you're you're hating on the team just because they're they've won the Super Bowl three times. It is annoying, but there's so many other teams that are a few pieces away or on the come up that, it, and like you've said all all year, this game depends mostly on who's healthy at the end of the year. So and the Niners were falling apart. Yeah, like like the I feel bad for the guy who was running Trey onto Greenlaw. the field. Yeah, like Trey that's Greenlaw so bad. jogs onto the field and tears an Achilles in a move that makes every young or old man in the country wince and start rubbing his ankles. Yeah, it it it's so sad because it's like a simple just like you're jumping up and down, getting ready, and then you just lean forward and go, and it just pops. You see him fall to the ground. You see his teammates like immediately put their hands on their head and like no way that just happened to you. Like Greenlaw's first first series, I think he made all three plays to shut down the Chiefs. Like him and Warner were the best linebacker duo in the league, in my opinion, this entire year. Warner being the best overall. He got hurt. Debo pulled up limping on on a route where it was non-contact, and it's like, oh, did he just tear his hamstring? But they gave him Mike's secret stuff, and he came back out. Uh, Kittle got hurt at mid-game. One thing from from CBS that I really wanted to critique on the broadcast, other than, like, beginning of the game, you could... I thought the sound mixing was weird. Uh, that's Everyone was saying that. It was... Re- I think that that's, an, like, an endemic problem in a lot of production these days. That's something I think you could speak to, where I think just sound mixing has gotten worse. But also... that. Like a few players, even including on the Chiefs, like just got hurt and they didn't tell us who they were or they didn't linger on it. They just would go to a TV timeout and then not talk about it. Like they did it for Greenlaw and they like showed Kittle running into the tunnel, but they didn't even show him getting hurt necessarily. I feel like because it's there's no cameras really pointed at them so they can't it's or the like they Super don't Bowl. really there's know. cameras ever i know but like if you have 500 cameras pointing everywhere that's 500 things you're looking at so there's things that go missed i think and these are one of those things where so many things are weird. happening i thought it was strange yeah i agree it is it is weird it's the biggest production show of american television so get it together 123.4 million the most watched broadcast ever you'd think they'd have it a little bit more together and you know it's been like 57 of these right a couple narratives that have been annoying me coming out of the game the first one and the most understandable and valid one everyone who who gives a damn about the sport at least quietly, has already accepted that Mahomes is probably going to be the greatest QB ever if you don't want to just call him that now. So I, we just keep belaboring this point before or and now after the game that Mahomes is like trying to climb the mountain to meet Brady. And Montana was there, and from pieces in the past, we know Montana cares about his legacy. Mahomes has already surpassed it. He's surpassed it at 28, and I firmly believe 
I, I keep coming back to it because I think it's a great point. A few weeks ago, I think it was Jamel Hill on Twitter who like made state just tossed it out there, put a couple croutons on the salad just to say that maybe Mahomes doesn't actually need to win seven Super Bowls to be better than Brady. And I firmly believe that. Uh, keep the, your record clean. Just keep your record clean. He's been to every AFC championship game since he's been a starter. He's likable by the public for the, for most, the most part. part for the yeah. most part. Like, I, I think people broadly like Mahomes more than Brady. I can, I, I would know. say that people like Mahomes more than Brady. Outside of their respected cities, it's hard. if you ask the fan bases, I think you can agree with that. It's hard because I think we have to speak to the perception of Brady in like 2009. Yeah. Not, not 2019. Now. Where it was clear after everything had happened and he had his MVPs and all the turmoil between him, Belichick, and Kraft that we saw him in a light that was unfavorable so many times that a lot of people felt justified just looking at him in that way generally. And now he's in Duncan ads and he's going to be on Fox and people are going to come back around on him. But I think that because of his personality, I think Mahomes is generally received better. I think that that's why people were so surprised when he had that outburst versus the Bills on the Kelsey to Tony play earlier Mm -hmm. in the season. Yeah. And I think that the problems people might have with his image are not related to him. It's like his dad getting a DUI and his yeah, brother, his being, brother being, being a psychopath. Uh, it's all, I it's, don't hold that against him. Yeah. I, I see what you're saying and I've never really thought about that like that, but you definitely have a point where all the things that the Mahomes haters say aren't really things about him, but more so the people he's around. Which and it's not even to the level of some guys in the past. The one that comes to mind for that is is AI, but also like um, say AI. Mellow or Monte I know, Ellis. Sure. Coming out of the draft, there was like legitimate concern about the people that Carmelo Anthony hung out with. And people were sensitive about reporting it and didn't really necessarily want to put it in plain speak in the print, but this was still a time where they were calling players thugs. So like or it was at least such a, a different time. It's so crazy. Yeah, but we were like we were eight. two, yeah, two or I mean, three. Yeah, to that, we were children. But I think that's I think that they need an inciting event. Otherwise, Mahomes is going to quickly ascend. And I don't even think this is as some people have stated. If you want to compare him to Jordan, let's take that further because I think some people also talk about. Him like LeBron and how he's trying to unseat Jordan. That's not what this is. This is Jordan once he had completed his ascension by the mid-90s, pre-first retirement and post-second, uh, where people didn't really quibble on the fact that he had unseated Kareem, Magic, Bird, like, go back, Oscar, Oscar Le- Robertson. Legends of the Game. People weren't reticent to say that Michael Jordan was the greatest player ever before he was done. And I think that some of this is the uh, the growth of the internet and now that people are able to confirm their own biases 
uh, online by themselves and where back in the day it was kind of that the sports media slowly came to the valid conclusion that that Jordan had become the best player ever. I think that we're maybe reaching that point with Mahomes where, God forbid, the uh, the Chiefs go back to back to back, but every season, every ring that he puts together, I think we become more comfortable with the fact that it's just he's the best we've ever seen, and it's not close. Also, so I'm a little... Oh, sorry to interrupt you. Oh, you're all good. I was just going to say, I also hate being the person where it's like, oh, they all played in different times, but it's it, it, it does ring true, I think. You know, I haven't seen anything Mahomes has done that has created a whole rule in football. <laughs> so there's small things like that where it's just different game, way more physical than it than it was now. Like it's it's hard. It's always hard to rate things in those different generations of stuff. But overall, I do think Mahomes is getting up to be on the Mount Rushmore of. He's already there. And that's my my main frustration. It's that people are talking like they should be nervous to do so. But not only is he there, we're we know that we're well on the path to just saying he's won. And there's no debate. We're gonna be right back and then we'll get into some more narratives, talk some betting, some Purdy and Shanahan, and looking forward to next year. And we're back. All right. Next narrative that is slightly annoying me. This annoyed me a little bit with the Ravens game, too. Not that it's completely untrue, but that Mahomes saved the day. It's not a bad take whole cloth, but I think this was a game more about the defenses. I know it ended 26-22, but that was in five quarters. We just ran through all the drives from each team. And even though the final total actually went over, depending on where you got it, this was a game, to me, defined by Trent McDuffie, Chris Jones, Nick Bosa, Legereus Deed, Eric Armstead, all of those guys either turning touchdowns into field goals or field goals into punts. Because Jones alone had two separate plays where he's rushing straight into Purdy's face, forces him to adjust, and that leads to Purdy missing, I think, two throws that would have been walk-in touchdowns for Debo and Ayuk. Or at least they had two or three steps and would have been able to drag it in the back of the end zone. Jones was amazing and just reaffirmed himself being an All-Pro this season, despite his holdout at the beginning of the year. I think that McDuffie is astounding to watch how he plays the ball. There was one, oh, I f- forgive me, I think it was against Debo where he's going to the back of the end zone and it's just, it's Darrell Revis shit where he's tracking him the entire way up the seam. It's just Debo running a nine route, I believe, where he's just taking it upfield, getting to the back of the end zone as fast as he can. And McDuffie is so cleanly able to scoop his arm as he's playing the ball that when you're watching it in, in full speed, you just can't tell. And obviously, they're going to be pissed on the back end because they they got held. It was a penalty, but that is just what the best corners can do so seamlessly. McDuffie did that well. They had him in on a blitz where he got in there and affected Purdy's game. 
I think that take away that hold and McDuffie has a case for MVP of this entire game, including Mahomes. And that's where it's not it's not all that annoying because Mahomes did end up with two major drives that not only tied the game, but then won it in overtime. He deserves the credit. He deserves the MVP. And the quarterback is save for a handful of times, almost always going to get it unless a receiver has an enormous game. I just want those guys to be recognized because it was astounding. Even Bosa, we talked about him cutting off Mahomes for most of the game. They got gassed, but it was incredible. Warner was everywhere. I even think that their corners held up reasonably well. Uh, Deshaun Gibson messed up by not completely running out the, uh, the McCole Hardman deep crosser. But if he did, he was right there. It's just, it was amazing effort on both sides. And I think that the points at the end came from them being exhausted from being in the Super Bowl and it being the end of the season. Not that, again, we, we've already talked about how well Purdy and Mahomes played. Defenses are prob- not the Niners. I think that the defense was the chief strength this season, and they have been accumulating talent on that end for years. Last one, and probably the most paramount one coming out of this game, that Shanahan messed up by receiving in overtime. I think it was Orlovsky on like Get Up on Monday morning. That was the first one I saw and therefore the most annoying to me because that's just the way we are. I understand how it can be perceived as just wholly incorrect. You can question Shanahan's lack of, of temerity, of testicular fortitude to, one, take the, uh, to f- take the field goal at the end of that drive in overtime or the decision overall to t- receive the ball in the first place. I know that's the main issue here, but I mean, they get they could have gone for it, and there's an argument that you're better off pitting the Chiefs inside the 10 there rather than giving them the field goal and then better position to go down and win. That is neither here nor there. I think that taking the points isn't bad. But I just wanted to walk through it because, and Raven, I'd be curious after explaining all this how you feel because I think you can absolutely argue the other side. If you defer in that situation because of the playoff rules and overtime, you allow yourself to operate with the knowledge of what is needed to keep the game going or win. If this sounds scripted, it's because I wrote all of this out because <laughs> I spent like a lot of time trying to piece this together and considering how I thought about it. Punt and you need a field goal. If you take it first, the Chiefs would have needed a field goal to win. Field goal and the Chiefs would have needed to kick a field goal or score a touchdown and they'd win. And if it's a touchdown, you need a match. Okay. So this is what the chiefs were thinking through as they have said now that they would have deferred if they had won the coin toss. All right. If you, you can operate with four downs knowing that if you don't convert, the game is over anyway. And if you get into field goal range, you can keep the game going. And then ultimately what happened, what we were all afraid was going to happen if you bet on the Niners or were just anti-Chiefs in this game, you kick a field goal, the Chiefs know that they drive down and score a touchdown, they win the Super Bowl. Taking the ball off the coin toss was an acknowledgement by Shanahan that he knew his defense was exhausted, which they were, and that you trust your offense to score. And that is the biggest thing for me because I honestly wholeheartedly think that getting the ball third in this situation is more important if you trust your team to score the touchdown. 
if you go touchdown by San Francisco, touchdown by KC, then San Francisco gets the ball back with a chance just to end it with a field goal. They get it in sudden death after they both score a touchdown. So, I mean, I guess it could have been a touchdown and the Chiefs can go for two to win the game, but with how good their defense was playing, they might have trusted them. I don't know. There's so many permutations that this can go through. But it has way more nuance than, what are you doing, Shanahan? And I just thought that trusting your QB and your all-time position group is not a bad idea. Yeah, I think I I think if I was in that spot, I'm taking the ball. I know my defense is tired, but as a coach, you have to trust your players. And these are the moments that it comes down to. Are these moments right here where if you don't trust your ball, uh, your players and you defer the ball, okay, you're trying to think. But after weeks and weeks of it seemingly not looking like you're trusting your offense, now is the time to prove everyone wrong. And, hey, maybe you have a Super Bowl out of it. Like, I don't know. It's, it is very nuanced. And, like, there's so many permutations, but, like... I think that... I think that it's fair to say that he should have deferred, but then you're giving Mahomes the ball third. Even if you go field goal for field goal or touchdown for touchdown, then it's Mahomes with a chance to win the game. And the, what per- you have right here is... Yeah, Purdy said it himself after the... Or, uh, yeah, after the game. You don't want to give him an opportunity to go down and win the game with a touchdown. And I forgive me for not remembering who it was on Twitter, but that through all almost 300 games in the NFL season, hours upon hours of watching football, it all came down to don't let Patrick Mahomes have the ball last. Because if Patrick Mahomes has the ball last, then the game is over. It does. I'll say this about Mahomes. He does have the ability to finish out games with little time. I mean, go back like to the Rogers. 13, like the, th- okay, relax. Uh, just found whatever way to glaze Rodgers, even <laughs> talking about a Super Bowl that he had no chance of making. Uh, hey, man, four plays. They were the best up. four plays of the year. Anyhow, this entire game, as well as this entire season, revolved around that simple fact And it ended up being true, whether it was the Ravens game and MVS making that falling down catch to end it, going back to the Bills game, going back to whatever. If Mahomes has the ball last, it's not because he's down by two scores. It's because the Chiefs just won. And that is just as terrifying as it was for Brady, but it's honestly even more intimidating for Mahomes because it just, it feels like even when you have it figured out, then he gets that. 20-yard run on the final drive in overtime where it's fourth and one and he just takes it where it almost looks like I don't know like the the speed option in college where he had the option to toss it forward to Kelsey but instead Kelsey just throws a block Mahomes picks up two first downs with his legs on that drive too when he's just scampering I know people say that Kyler Murray looks like he runs like he just took his dad's phone but I think that Mahomes looks even more like that just because it's the same way, but slower. He has so many ways to beat you, and it was just heartbreaking 
not I mean like the slight amount of money that I lost whatever just how dispiriting it is to see Mahomes with a chance to win the game on a touchdown and sudden death you just knew he was going to do it to wrap it all up even if I don't necessarily think Shanahan was thinking this way I think that getting the ball third was more important that's it and you have to trust your offense to score a touchdown in that situation because the Chiefs defense is tired too even if they might have the two best players in the game now that the season is over, very sadly, it's time to uh, to think about, well, one, who do we think is going to win next year? We'll jump around a little bit here. Betting odds, at the time of this recording, at least last night, pardon me if it's changed slightly, the Niners are actually favored at 5-1 to one to win the Super Bowl next year, but Chiefs are 6.5-1, to one, Ravens are at 9, Lions at 12, Bills at 12, Cowboys 15-1, to one, Bengals 15 to 1, Eagles 17 to 1, Dolphins 20, Texans 25, Packers 25, and then we'll stop with the Rams and Chargers and Jets at 30 to 1. Any of those jump out to you? I mean, Homer aside, the Packers looks good. I think that bet is nice. I think the Dolphins 20 to 1 is also a pretty good bet. I was thinking the same things. Like, again, my distaste aside, I think the Packers at 25, where Love might just have a... Vendetta. Oh, a vendetta, but close to Mahomes this year, just with how he finished. And those receivers only getting better. Reed is awesome. Even Wicks and Bo Melton are great. Mm -hmm. Like, they have a ton of firepower and I think are in a position to just build in the trenches, shore up their weaknesses, and... If I had to pick a division winner in the NFC North next year, I'm going to take them. Sorry, Lions fans. But I don't know. I'm impressed. I think that that number is going to go down. The only other one I thought was interesting was the Rams. I, th- I agree with the Dolphins, too, just because they have the same infrastructure in place. And as long as Hill and Waddle don't get massively injured, they are going to have a dynamic offense. But the Rams, with how tightly they played the Lions, who made the NFC Championship game... I think that if Stafford's healthy and they have, again, two amazing receivers and a really young line and defense that all developed really well over the course of the year, McVay's always got a shot. I would be curious with how dispiriting this loss was for the Niners. I am curious to see what the line for the Rams to win the division next year is going to be because... I'm not necessarily predicting a a Philadelphian level of Super Bowl hangover, but that was heartbreaking if you're a 49ers. To get back and to face Mahomes again just to lose to him in even in an even more painstaking fashion. Painstaking fashion. Yeah. It's it's rough. It's it's awful. And I don't necessarily think that that's gonna completely rock Purdy, pardon for the pun, but they have to look at what they're facing in the offseason, and that's keeping what you can together. John Feliciano and Sean Gibson are really the only free agents that would be great to bring back. Felicio, Feliciano got banged up in the game, but he's good. He's been good since the Bills to Sean Gibson. Bears legend has been solid for them. That's really their only immediate outgoing free agents, but one thing, it's an only in like 
push notification slash media slash journalism thing that players have cryptic quote unquote tweets where Ayuk is like, don't forget what got you here. Mm-hmm. I what, saw this. Whatever. I, I don't like the word cryptic anymore is my point. But Ayuk's extension is coming up. He's going to want to reset the market. And then Purdy's going to be due for one soon. And I have no idea how to evaluate him. Yeah, I don't think... I think these next two years are really how you're going to evaluate him. Just because you've seen what he is capable of, but now you're going to see how consistent he can do it. Because if he can... Even if it's numbers, you know, slightly less than this year, that's still a top 10 quarterback in the league. It's still a guy that almost won MVP. Yeah. So I think they have every right to kind of wade slowly in this situation and just kind of see how he does by himself. Because if he grows into a talent that you can trust, obviously you're going to pay him to secure him. But it could be good for other teams too that are maybe seeing and hoping that he gets undervalued by the Niners and then they can steal him. I think that he started to show a little bit of more autonomy within the offense in the playoffs. With I don't want to boil it down just to running, but I did think that even in the Super Bowl, he looked impressively comfortable navigating the pocket for the most part. And when he bailed, it was not for a bad reason, say for maybe once or twice. So I have faith that he might even continue to get better and just build even more comfort operating within this offense with a full year and a half under his belt. Again, another offseason where the guys that have helped him so much at this point in his career aren't going anywhere and aren't very old. I mean, Debo and Kittle are getting older and have been banged up, but don't have season-ending injuries like Trey Greenlaw does going into the offseason. I I agree with you for the most part. I think that they're going to tread carefully. And if, sincerely, if you're Purdy's agent or Purdy himself, I think if Purdy gets 2% more uh, self-assured or just empowered to do his thing within the offense or whether it's something as simple as you can tell he's better at adjusting protections or like just reading the opposite side of the field using his eyes, if it's just one extra tool in the toolbox, he's going to make $200 million. But that affects everything else. And if Purdy has that money and you start to you know, leech off other parts of the team, I don't think Brock Purdy's making it to the Super Bowl with Marcus Valdez-Scantling and uh, McCall Hardman as his outside receivers, for example. It'll be interesting to watch the Chiefs. Just get receivers, for the love of God. Like, you can do nothing else. Draft seven receivers. I don't care. I, they have their pick. I, there's guys at the back end of this round, of uh, the first round, and along the second. Get someone. Because Rice is good. Don't get me wrong. And he was one of the league leaders in yards after the catch. He's very Debo-ish. Great weapon to have. And I think him having his rookie season behind him, a full offseason, and coming into next year as the guy look to him to have a really big year. But for the love of God, get him one more guy. Kelsey isn't getting younger. <sighs> to the least favorite part of this, why I don't know why I changed my mind. I don't know why I got to Sunday and said, you're too confident. 
you're too correct. There's no way. Because it felt like both smart people and like the dumbest people that you know are like, yeah, of course the Chiefs are going to win. It's Mahomes. And that just gnaws at the back of my brain. That I like. I think I know what I'm talking about. And yet I feel the exact same way as people who do and don't. It was just across the board. I think like 60% of the money was on the Chiefs. It just makes me so nervous. And I was like, you know what? The 49ers are the better team. And it closed at two and a half. They were still favored. It actually, I didn't bet on the actual totals just because I was nervous about it. Rightfully so, because if you bet it at over 47 and a half, you lost. And if you bet it at over 46 and a half, which the game ended at, you won. Like, that's kind of, that's kind of scary. <sighs> no Kelsey touchdown. No Debo touchdown. No Pacheco touchdown. It was just, it was just the ones that, that would have been the most beneficial. Then it hurts my feelings. Uh, the Kelsey Mahomes overs hit 100%. And then most of Purdy's hit, unless you're Raven. 246 and a half, man. I thought that was a safe bet. Again, if it didn't go to OT, you would have been right. And then my one point for the betting is, do you know anyone crazy enough to actually bet on a non-QB throwing touchdown and put that in a parlay? Someone did it. Yeah, my stepdad did. <laughs> and I was actually shocked that it worked. What were the odds on it? <laughs> really good. Like, really I'm sure. high. But. Well, because there was, um, I think it was over two and a half or three and a half players to throw a pass in the game, and it went over. Because that's just essentially you're betting on a trick play. And and to bet not only on that, but a non-position or a position player throwing a touchdown is... It's pretty wild. Uh, shout out to Juwan Jennings, though. I don't think he's going to exactly be a breakout guy, but I saw someone compare him to a, like a six-man, just a receiver who comes in and does two or three cool things a game, and that's about it. It's 35 to 1. 35 to 1. I hate critical thinking because it just continues to confuse me. It's like, oh, pick the better team. No, don't pick the better <laughs> team. Never pick the better team. Announcing. Okay. My notes here are more negative than positive. So I'll start by saying that I generally enjoy the broadcast. And even as I think Romo... Okay, start with Nance, great. I thought he had a great game. It was a great call on the play-by-play. -play. I have always been very much pro-Jim Nance. But Romo's deficiencies, and this, this comes from Brian Curtis at The Ringer, who wrote a great story about Romo prior to the game. For me, Romo is a TV version of a very talented but very flawed NFL quarterback, which Romo was once upon a time. Which what makes Romo unique is that he's elite, that he isn't elite or terrible. He's both at the same time. He has such great moments where, like, even as something as simple as on the Butker field goal to send it to overtime, he goes, it's like, it can't handle this, right? And that's just, I think the everyman appeal that uh, applies to Romo and what a lot of people still really enjoy about him is in stuff like that, where it does remind you of like Madden, where it's just like, come on, there's no way the game ends like this, right? And you feel like he's sitting on the couch next to you. That's great. And there were more fun moments. And as the game progressed, again, there's something to being excited and jubilant about what you are watching. 
And I think we're in an age of sports media where the last 10 to 15 years, it has become very apparent that people ingesting the content being produced want to know that you love what you're watching as much as they do. And Tony Romo loves watching football. And there were just enough moments that make me agree with some of the criticism about him that I feel somewhat disappointed. There, one of the things that Curtis pointed out and something that I have noticed during the game and in the past too, he doesn't know like offensive linemen's names. And I think that a lot of guys will do this sometimes where it's just like, oh, 58 with a great block there. Or um, like 17 with a good pass breakup. It's, it's okay sometimes, but it's just like, I don't think Romo knows who Nick Bolton is. It was, it was more so, the biggest thing for me was at the end of the game, right as uh, Hartman scores, you can hear Romo mumbling right before Nance does the call, jackpot, touchdown. Good call, but you can hear him be like, and that's the game. Just like, shut up. That is my only thing. I, I generally enjoyed the broadcast. It, that was just disappointing. And then, like, you've played, Raven, you've played Madden, right? Long, long time ago, but yes. Okay. If you play franchise mode in Madden or you mm-hmm. get to the end of a season there and your team wins the Super Bowl, like, the, the fake announcers don't talk as they pan from player to fake player and have all the animations of all that, whatever. It's corny in that and it's all the same every time. But... This is something since the end of time. You have the call in the game, and then you let the images tell the story. But not only did that not happen, and again, that's an editorial choice. You don't necessarily have to do that if you want them to keep talking. But Romo like pulled up the telestrator after the game-winning touchdown of the Super Bowl to explain how it happened. And it's like, I don't need this right now. That is just so wholly unnecessary. Let, let me see the players. <laughs> like, like no, they just won the Super Bowl. I want to see the faces of the people running around like idiots. I want to see... That's fair. And the confetti just Confetti falling. I want to see Andy Reid getting tackled. I want to see Brock Purdy sitting on the bench. I want to see Kyle Shanahan's face. I just want to ingest all of that, give it a minute, and then you and Nance sign off. That's all I needed. Or give it like a full however long if you really want to pull the play back up but that's just not where like play design is necessary to examine it was a good play don't get me wrong and don't think we need to analyze it the moment the game's over though (laughs) like that is not what people are focused on in that moment it's like oh let me see the replay no the super bowl's over i was slightly disappointed in that overall though i thought there was a lot of Intensity and clear engagement in bigger moments, particularly in the second half when the quarterback started to play better. The fourth quarter was awesome because Roma does great when the quarterbacks are playing well. Something as simple as how Mahomes just his arm angle or how Purdy uh, was able to evade a defender or how having Chris Jones in his face affected these overthrows just slightly. Roma understands that and he's great with that. But... I, I think there is a, a sanctity to the end of the game call at the Super Bowl. And, like, I know you're not trying to farm clips. Don't get me wrong. But that should be a moment that is submitted into the Hall of Fame 
there should be a wing for final calls on Super Bowls. And I just don't want other people talking in the background. Just small things. Small things. And I'm not an expert on the matter, so I'm not going to belabor the point any more than I have to. I've just seen mixed responses to the call, and I, too, have a mixed response to the call. Finally, uh, commercials of note. Kind of bad. Uh, there was a Scientology one, like, before the game. There were the Jesus ads, which I think was only for feet people. Uh, I don't know who Gregory Crudson is. Uh, Gregory Crudson is an American photographer who does very high set, um, high budget film sets that are shot like film scenes more like it instead of like a traditional like you know set up stuff for pictures um very just unique style but if you look at some of his pictures and some of the stills from the jesus commercials you can definitely see there's heavy heavy influence and that's all i'm gonna say he's saying that jesus stole his style um, I thought the Christopher Walken commercial was good. I thought that was one of the highlights. I thought the Duncan one was okay. I just think I just have a general aversion to just stuffing celebrities and commercials for the sake of it. I think it's not necessarily good production, but also you spend so much money on these ads, you want people to be recognizable. The the one that made the room laugh, it's not funny. Because it's it's about an anti-bullying initiative, but it would just like pop on screen. I think the first one was Cam Hayward from the Steelers and George Kittle just like saying it's like nobody likes me. And then it's uh it's like I'm bullied every day. It's like what? people don't understand <laughs> that comedic timing and the the thing that you see before you see that directly impact how you or like uh, see those images because it's a great initiative. And it is like, a great initiative, and it's a really, really uh, attention grabbing like hook to a commercial. Just you need to start it off with some black or something for like a second, where we know that there's a change in the commercial, not just going from a Duncan commercial to nobody likes me. Uh, it was so startling because. I was like, why is George Kittle saying that? And then it's Steve Young in a classroom, like sitting with children. And I'm like, oh, okay. It was it was just unintentionally hilarious in a way that I think undermines the point. And I think that applies to a lot of those ads where, I mean, we don't have to talk about the, the fundamentals of editing an ad, particularly when you are set to hard limits of 30, 45 seconds, depending on what you have for the Super Bowl. But... Like, you can speak to this. A lot of them are either over-edited or just way too fast-paced to actually, like, convey something important. And then, like, some of them are just weird and you don't actually know what the ad's about until the end because it was like a BMW commercial or something where a girl was ice skating for her grandfather and it just didn't make sense. Or uh, complete unawareness of her brands like Volkswagen showing a car coming off a boat in the forties. I don't think Volkswagen wants to advertise what they were doing in the forties. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's, that's a walk 
walking the line type. Like, I understand you're trying to... Same thing with Mercedes, where it's like, oh, you love your heritage, but don't don't talk about that time. Maybe don't... Um, we can skip to the 50s. Maybe just don't, like, advertise it. Literally. We can skip to the 50s and 60s, where the cars were pretty. And not tanks. <laughs> not war machines, yeah. All right. Well, that is the football season. It's sad, but now we're... Uh, we're right around the corner to baseball. Baseball. We're, we're going to get more into basketball. We'll have a baseball preview coming up here pretty soon. I mean, we didn't cover... We really didn't talk about Taylor Swift much, so eat me, uh, conspiracy junkies. But uh, par- Brock Purdy might actually be Lee Harvey Oswald. So I'll give you that one. That's what we'll end it off on today. Yeah. Um, Raven, do you have anything left to plug before we get out? Uh, go check out the daily hockey show. We had Johnny Lazarus on today. A great reporter for the New York Rangers. F1 show came out on uh, Sunday. Another one's going to be coming out next Sunday. So races are starting very soon. So very exciting. Check it all out and I'll see you all later this week. Bye.